From the offices of Melman, Castanetti, Rosen, and Thomas, just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th NG, podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. This episode, we welcome Fiscal Note CEO, Tim Huang. We're also joined by our old pal, Bruce Melman. Tim's company is um, kind of using big data to attack problems in government relations and should be pretty interesting. Okay, without further ado, Tim and Bruce. All right, Tim, Bruce, welcome to 14th and G. Thanks, CR. Thanks so much. Um, all right, so before we get into this, Tim, talk to me about your background. You're actually a local guy. Uh, I, I'm a local guy, so I like to go with that part first. Yeah, well, uh, I was actually born in the Midwest. I was uh-huh. born in Michigan, but I, I grew up here in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, ever since I was very, very young. Grew up through MCPS public school system. Uh, had very sort of interesting uh, experience as well as uh, throughout the system there, actually. Uh, had a chance to work for uh, President Obama's 08 campaign, um, served on the Montgomery County Board of Education um, and uh, just got really, really ingrained into the community there before I went off to college at Princeton and, and started this company here. So I got two Princeton guys here. This is not a good yeah, although, situation so for the St. Joe's guy. Has anybody you. else ever <laughs> been on the Board of Education while subject to the Board of Education? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was a very interesting dynamic with my, uh, with my teachers, to say the least. <laughs> did you ever tell them, don't you know who I am? I can get you fired. I, well, I didn't say that, but I did, I did have an interesting story where I was, uh, uh, I was trying to get out of an exam, and I told my teacher, um, you know, I can either take this exam or I could go negotiate your pension benefits. So you tell me which one you want me to do. <laughs> wow. Talk about destined for a future yeah. in lobbying. <laughs> that seems like a really easy answer to that yeah, one. Right, right. Um, okay, so we've covered a little bit of the background. Obviously, now you're at Fiscal Note. You're the CEO of Fiscal Note. What's, what's the company do? Um, and, you know, kind of just give us a sense of that. Sure. Uh, so at Fiscal Note, we have a mission to create technology platforms that connect the world to their governments. And our flagship product is an issues management solution where we help uh, companies and organizations, almost 1,500 of them today, uh, understand uh, their obligations with government, uh, discover all these different legislative and regulatory components, and then sort of create workflows that uh, help their organizations manage those government risks within their businesses. And so, like, what's that mean functionally? Are you are you trying to moneyball politics here and government relations, or you know, or are you just trying to get people kind of more systematized and use some big data and all those kinds of things? Yeah, I think uh, moneyball has a lot of connotations. So I want to I want to <laughs> maybe stay away from that. But I think that what we want to do is we want to help organizations have this holistic way of looking at all of the laws, all of the regulations, all the court case, all the things that are sort of flying at them on a day-to-day basis, um, and that help uh, systematically kind of go across their organization and help, whether it's their GR function or corporate affairs function, risk, compliance, audit, corporate communications, all these functions work together uh, in concert using some really cutting-edge stuff in terms of data analytics and cloud applications and whatnot that the uh, rest of the enterprise software world has come to know and love. What do you got, Bruce? Well, I, you know, look, I, I was lucky enough to join the uh, advisory board of Fiscal Note a while ago when um, uh, great friend, but not quite Governor Alec Ross, 
uh, was uh, was there and, and uh, recommended that, that I talk with these guys. And what's so exciting, you know, CR, when we're lobbying feels um, like it's been around for a while because it's been around for a while and it's always been done with experts based upon years of, uh, of judgment and experience who've been in the trenches. Uh, but you look around the world and data-driven transformations are happening in entertainment, happening in retail, happening in every other sector. And the proposition that uh, even government relations, staid, stodgy old government relations is ripe for uh, better issues management and a data-driven transformation was at first a very compelling proposition. And then when you see it in practice, you're like, holy cow, this is the future. And the, the other thing I would imagine is, you know, for most companies, um, you're dealing with governments, state, local governments. You're dealing with, you know, somebody, somebody in Brussels, somebody wherever else. I suspect you're, you know, just even on an organizational level, like what are we saying to regulators in China and what are we saying to regulators in Washington? You probably have to say the same thing these days. Yeah, so I was, I was speaking with a, a big uh, telecom company, uh, you know, a couple months ago, and one of their biggest issues was they're trying to coordinate what they were saying to uh, you know, Mexican regulators as well as to uh, Indonesian regulators as well as Indian regulators, and their internal teams weren't even talking to each other. So they, um, the the Mexican regulators would be uh, referencing the stuff they had said to the Indonesian government, and they would just call them out on it. Right. right. So just really simplistic ways of helping to digitize some of these workflows. I think um, you know can go a long way in terms of trying to get to the outcomes that people want. So um, just some other basics about the company. How big are you? What, you know, where are you based? Uh, what are the types of clients you guys have? Yeah, so we are uh, a little under 200 people. Uh, we're based here in Washington, D.C., right on Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, we have offices in uh, New York, Baton Rouge, uh, uh, you know, Brussels, South Korea, um, and in India as well. It's a Baton Rouge connection. Yeah, one of these kids is not <laughs> yeah. like the other. You guys just like Creole food? I think that's really what it is. Well, so Baton Rouge, it was through an acquisition of a company uh, called Voter Voice that we did uh, last year. Um, and it's a grassroots advocacy software platform that we acquired. Uh, we also base a lot of our customer support down in Baton Rouge as well. Oh, okay. Uh, so cool. great to be a part of that community. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Uh, we, have, we work with a lot of different customers, uh, all the way from you know big Fortune 50 customers and kind of digitizing uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of people on their compliance and government affairs functions, sure. all the way down to a two-person animal rights group, uh, human rights organization, whatever the case may be. So everything in between, you know, we, we service a lot of those customers, which are about 1,500 today. That's great. Bruce, feel free to jump in whenever you want to here. I kind of Me? Gonna, well, whatever you want. I'm kind of interested in – I'm always interested in the business of this stuff, right? So, you know, you gave your background. Like, now you're raising money and you're – you know, you have – investors and things like that like how how's that yeah so it's interesting um someone just told me uh i think yesterday that we are uh, now one of the largest if not the largest uh, tech startup here in washington dc um, after raising uh, 65 million venture capital and kind of growing our business pretty pretty aggressively the last couple of years and um it's definitely been interesting you know we started the company actually in silicon valley uh about five years ago and uh at the time i remember you know, we, we didn't have any money. We were bootstrapping the business, and we we uh, we were so bootstrapped that we couldn't afford an apartment in the valley. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we were trying to find a month to month apartment, which came out to something like, you know, four or five thousand a month. And so, we we took all of our summer savings together, and we were actually living out of a Motel Six for a couple of months because it was much cheaper to live out of Motel Six. Um, and up uh, probably up until our fifth employer, so uh, that was our office, right? I mean, we had. You know, you can imagine this two beds, you know, two guys sleeping on each bed and one guy sleeping on the floor. And that was basically where Fiscal got started. 
Um, I wouldn't want to be your <laughs> fifth employee. Like, hey, we've got this great operation here. Come meet us in the Motel 6. Jeez. Yeah, well, it's well, pretty cool from going from uh, <laughs> five guys jammed in a Motel 6 to Covington's old office space in Pennsylvania Avenue. It's got to be a pinch yourself uh, moment. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I still wake up in the morning. I still feel like I'm in the Motel 6 and I just need to get to work and you know do, do what I need to do, right? But mm-hmm. um, I know just logically that's not the case. But, you know, when the, grow- when the company is just growing so fast and you're just trying to keep up with everything – um, it's still it's still hard to believe that you know just a couple of years ago the the name fiscal note didn't even exist and we just kind of created it from from thin air here. Well, some of that probably as well, Tim, is founder founder syndrome. I mean, I you know <laughs> I, I started this company at the very end of 2003 and still with some frequency on my drive to work or drive home, I'm convinced today's the day they're all going to fire us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I still feel that every day. Okay, so I'll just sit here and be quiet as I'm not a Princeton guy, nor am I a founder of any companies. <laughs> two, two Princeton guys, two founders of companies. But you okay. married well. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, so you've gotten some, um, I read you got some pretty high-profile um, seed money from um, you know, kind of brand-name guys. Um, how did that happen? How's that happen? Well, it's more than that. I mean, you got NEA, which is one of the hottest locally. You got Jerry Yang. You yeah. got Mark Cuban. You got... Steve uh, Case. Steve Case, Rise yeah. of the Rest. That's, you know, that's uh, uh, Glitterate. Yes. <laughs> and, and I'd add to that, you know, um, why DC? I mean, there used to be a huge tech thing here. You know, AOL was cranking out of here and all the rest of that stuff. Is it just because you're from here and you want to come back or because the government relations stuff really needs you to have, be here? That's a, like eight questions, so feel free to answer yeah, whatever no, one so, you want. <laughs> so I'll sort of answer it in two parts, around the investment stuff and then on the, on the, on the, on the DC stuff. So I think um, – uh, on the investment side, it's actually a really funny story. So I, I remember sitting back in our Motel 6, and you know, we were working maybe 14, 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And we were sitting back, and just to kind of recharge, we were watching Shark Tank. And I remember watching and seeing Mark Cuban. I just thought, wow, he's a pretty smart guy. Um, so I went on my laptop, pulled up my laptop, went on the Wi-Fi, the you know, Motel 6 Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, and I shot Mark Cuban an email, and I said, hey, Mark, you know, I'm working on this thing. Here's my background. Uh, I think you, you'd be really interested. Um, Mark has obviously been very outspoken about government and the role of government and whatnot. And I think literally within 45 minutes, he responded. He said, sounds really interesting. Let's talk. Um, so we went back and forth uh, over the weekend, uh, and we got a deal basically hammered out. And Mark wrote the first uh, $740,000 investment into the business. Um, and from there, it was Jerry Yang. It was NEA, Steve Case. Um, all these different folks just sort of started piling into the business. But um, – I say to this day, Mark was still the the guy that took a took a risk on us. Do you have his email address? <laughs> you can actually. So, so it's funny. I actually went on Google and I just literally looked up Mark Cuban email. And if you go on Access TV, their contact page, it has his email. So that's why I, I just copied and pasted his email. Just oh, email. Although wow. CR, you're missing the important step of having a really great idea. Well, I'll get to, yeah, that's <laughs> and, a good and point. And a background a credible point. that you can pull it off. It's <laughs> a good point. Like, but hey, you Mark, got the third one. But like, what about like, hey Mark, do you want to hang out? That would be good, right? Um, that is really you like wild. Yeah, <laughs> it's really wild. Um, and so, how much of your time now is spent between kind of being the CEO, so raising money, hiring staff, all that kind of stuff, and fixing your you know and 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 expanding your product because i suspect like a lot of tech ceos there's a little push and pull there right like you probably have to spend more time doing hr kind of things than you want to yeah i think at this stage in our business um we have a really solid team behind Mm -hmm. us and i think that each of our functional uh leaders are very very strong at what they do and i I feel my one of my biggest uh and proudest accomplishments is, is being able to assemble a really strong team that works 
day in and day out to kind of make the company successful. So um, I feel fairly comfortable, uh, uh, you know, evangelizing about the business, um, str- uh, thinking strategically about sort of the, the next categories and uh, industries want to go in and disrupt, um, you know, speaking with investors and, and whatnot. You know, we recently got very heavily engaged with um, the World Economic Forum, where we're speaking at, at Davos and Tianjin and, and Dalian, um, and as well as all the regional meetings in each of the continents. And so um, that's something that I'm heavily engaged in as well. So I think the idea is that we're trying to push our branding out there, especially as we become a larger and larger tech company, um, and expand the presence that we have. But um, even to this day, I still, I'm still i very heavily engaged. I'd probably say about two-thirds of my time is still spent with my direct team, right? Oh, interesting. You know, uh, blocking and tackling, working through uh, managerial issues, strategic issues, resourcing issues as we kind of build our, our business over time. Yeah. Well, you add in, you're a young guy and you're you're a uh, smart, capable coder too, so <laughs> resisting the urge to kind of do what you started doing has got to be pretty hard as a CEO and realizing now you just, you have a different role, you've got to, you know, you're at the Pentagon, you can't get back in the submarine boat and be a captain again. Yeah, somebody, you know, a couple of CEOs told me as we enter this next stage, you know, it's it's um, uh, a CEO of a 200-person company is much closer to a 2,000-person company than a 100-person company just because mm-hmm. you have to start putting in processes and structures and systems. And, yeah. um, you know, you, most, you're sitting most of your time in just operating reviews and just constant uh, sort of business reviews and whatnot. So um, it is sort of an interesting experience to be in. But, uh, you know, as they say, you're... Your, your company is your product now, and you just have to start working on that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, we've heard it from lots of other people. I mean, Bruce and I have clients that are, you know, Fortune 5 companies, Fortune 10 companies, and, and I think they even, their CEOs feel a little bit of, you know, if you own a bus uh, company, do you sometimes just still want to drive the bus <laughs> or do you just want to run the company? Yeah. Um, so what's, what's, uh, what's cracking now? What's the thing that you're really working on now? What's, uh, you know, kind of... Um, where you where you're seeing the biggest uh, runway? Yeah, so two areas of investment for us in the short term. Um, number one is we're going to continue to grab more and more data, and uh, our midterm mission right now is to try and get uh, every single country on our platform. So the goal is to have uh, every single legislation, every single piece of regulation in every country on the planet, and build a digitized repository of all of humanity's laws and regulations on one singular platform. Uh, I think that's important for sort of two reasons. The first is obviously a business reason. You know, I think that we can expand the markets that we service over time. But secondly, I think just from a human achievement perspective, the ability to digitize all of the governance around uh, all of humanity is sort of, a, I think, a really important accomplishment uh, to make sure that we all understand the obligations that different people around the world are living under. Um, the second thing, I think, is... Um, more around this particular space, and I think that's around GR uh, and the tangential markets that that services, right, in, in risk and compliance and audit, sure. corporate communications. Uh, we believe that uh, issues management as a solution and the ability to uh, uh, discover all of this information, you know, all this legislation, regulatory content, and then have these really embedded uh, workflows and project management tools and collaboration capabilities um, for all these different industries is really game-changing because um, it makes GR and the importance of government relations um, in the most abstract sense uh, a really, really important function, right? Especially in a world where you're dealing with political uncertainty, you're dealing with uh, rising nationalism, you're dealing with things like Brexit, um, the ability to instantaneously understand you know, what governments are doing around the world and then be able to triage what the issues are internally. I think that's a, a massive, 
massive, uh, you know, game-changing, uh, uh, you know, sort of advantage for a lot of firms. You know, and maybe it's the Republican in me, CR, that would first say getting all of the world's regulations in one place and laws in one place, you know, it, first, some might argue is just a great monument to, uh, to excessive activity, but realistically, at least the better governance. It should allow those who are imposing rules and laws, instead of reinventing everything all the time, to try to first and foremost say, who's already doing this? And then you can start from there, and you find a lot easier, and you find who's being effective. But in our world, in the practical, uh, those who have to work with governments, what this means in effect is all the data you need always at your fingertips. That's a big deal. You know it and I know it. Sometimes you end up spending days just figuring out what you know. But if your CEO happens to be in town and you want to understand, well, what have our interactions with the office been or with the committee been, uh, good luck. You know, if you're, I don't know if you're lucky or not lucky, if you only have a small team and you can have them all in the room. But for a larger corporation, they don't know what they know. And part of the brilliance of the fiscal note platform, this issues management includes, they call it GRM, government relations management, the ability to know what you know and to instantly have it available so that your interactions going forward are informed by all of your interactions in the past. That's serious firepower. So on that note, how do you keep um, a lot of what we do um, um, in the GR space specifically is relationship building, you know, based. It's also a little bit of instinct based. It's a little bit of like take four or five things that I know, put them together and tell them, you know, one plus one plus one equals whatever. And that's how we see the world. I think some people might be reluctant to put that on paper. Uh, I know we're not talking about paper, we're talking about digital stuff, but like, how do you deal with the privacy security stuff of that? Because some of it might be literally national security, and some of it might just be like, you know, I've got a buddy and congressman, whoever's office, who told me this, and that's an important piece of information, and the world doesn't totally have it yet. Yeah, you know, so let me give you a tangential sort of example. Um, In the sales uh, sort of uh, profession, um, you know, I think we're all in sales, but, you know, particularly in the sales profession, um, uh, when the CRM sort of concept first came out in in the Mm -hmm. late 90s and early 2000s. And that stands for Customer Relations Management. Right, Customer Relations Management. So things like Salesforce or Zoho or all these sort of different pieces of software. Um, A lot of uh, sales folks were were initially very reluctant to put all this information online, right, because these are my contacts. These are the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, why I don't need a machine telling me, you know, how likely this deal is to close or, or whatever the case is, right? So um, all totally understandable objections, but we believe that the value that you can get from using a system like this outweighs all, all of those concerns, right? The ability to get uh, quarterly or monthly-based reports, the ability to show ROI of the efforts that you're putting in place, um, the ability to uh, collaborate across all these different functions, right? So you don't have the situation where you're speaking to one, re- you know, one type of regulator, and you're speaking over another colleague of yours, you know, on the, in the other side of the world, right? Sure. So, all these new capabilities that we have in an internet era, in a mobile era, um, we should be able to access. But, um, you know, I think you know the the sort of inputting of information is certainly one aspect of it. The other aspect, of course, is it does provide a large level of sort of um, lower level automation, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. give you a good example. Um, in the regulatory side of things, the federal regulatory side of things, we have a, uh, an analytics uh, solution where we actually automate um, the analysis of regulatory comments that were submitted during the, the, the rulemaking process. So we can sort all rules by whether or not an organization supports or opposes that regulation or that, yeah, that rule. 
uh, whether or not they're positive or negative in that sentiment. We can take millions and millions of comments and literally within less than three seconds tell you um, and sort all these different regulatory comments. And so we can tell you how industries feel, how they're responding. What normally would have taken you you know, weeks, if not months sure, to do, yeah, we can absolutely. do literally within less than five seconds. And those types of automated capabilities, I think, are very powerful in today's day and age. And you also mentioned, and, and you glossed over it, but I, I, I want to pull it out. ROI is a big deal, right? I mean, especially in, I'm going to keep sticking to the, to the lane I know, right, which is government relations. And oftentimes, you know, you report through legal or you report through communications. There's always a question of like, really, is the investment worthwhile? And what are you clowns doing in Washington and aren't, or in Brussels or wherever else? And aren't you just going to fancy dinners and all that stuff? It feels to me like this, your stuff um, enables people like me uh, who, who may or not, may or not, have a one-to-one relationship between a sale um, to be able to go ahead and explain what it is and you know, why it's important and all the rest. Yeah, I think, I think this is a really important piece because um, you know, this is a constant challenge for a lot of folks who are in the GR industry, as you mentioned, right? People are constantly fighting for budget. They're trying to justify themselves. Um, and the ability to say, here are all the positions that we took. Look at all the regulatory actions that we've been sort of fighting back against, all the legislative activity that's been going on. Here's an automated report that goes out to you on a weekly basis. Those types of capabilities, um, you know, they're, they're the foundational elements of any ROI justification. And in many cases for our, for our clients, we've actually seen budgets expand because they've been able to consistently show the ROI of their efforts. And I think that that's particularly important, you know, going back to your original question of why we're here in Washington, you know, we are here to service the business of Washington, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we view ourselves not just as some random tech company that comes in. You know, we are here fully ingrained into the work that all of Washington does, the K Street firms, the trade associations, sure. the unions, all these people, you know, we want to be the software that powers all of their uh, their work on a day-to-day basis. You know, the other thing about it, we know this from experience, the greatest ROI possible is winning. Yeah. And the other piece of this, one of the advisors on the advisory board as well is former General Stanley McChrystal, wrote this great book recently, maybe four years ago, called Team of Teams. And what they had observed is once upon a time, the way a military would work is that everybody in the field would gather information, filter it up, and it would go to the senior most general or a couple of folks in the, in the leadership tent who would then make the most informed decisions because they had all the information. And what they found is they were way too slow to fight the Taliban. They were ineffective because their opponents were distributed. They weren't getting headquarters information. And what McChrystal realized is his job wasn't to be the repository of all the information. His job was to make sure that everybody who had to execute had all of the information he might have. And his role became enforcing extraordinary broad sharing and radical transparency, and we started winning. And you're seeing the same thing in government relations fights where you need your lobbyists to know everything as opposed to everybody hoarding their cherries and having a few sure, pieces absolutely. of information they know. The, yeah, and I suspect um – Without going down a political lane here, um, but a current a current president's ability to change the subject minute by minute, the ability to quickly pull what have we said about, let's say immigration or whatever else, over time. Uh, what <laughs> now you're putting government relations folks in a place where they actually have to kind of quickly gather how do we respond to a tweet that happened ten minutes ago? Right, and it's not even just on an issue by issue basis, but even sometimes on a company by company basis. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, the market reacts very quickly, very swiftly on, on some of these actions. And so I do think that, um, you know, companies today have to be even quicker at responding to some of these things. And not just with, uh, with our current president, but it's around the world, right? Whether it's a new election in Italy or some, you know, rising uh, nationalistic sort of uh, 
uh, a movement that happens in Southeast Asia, whatever it is, you know, companies have to be 24-7 on the dot, you know, responding to these issues around the world. Um, and I suspect it's a little easier if you could do it in five or ten seconds than, <laughs> than calling around and saying, what did we say here? Um, a while back, I was a consultant for, um, uh, for BP post-spill, and a lot of things were wrong, including oil going into an ocean, which was problematic. They were very disjointed in what they said and how they dealt with stuff. And Congress had a field day going and say, well, your guy in Brazil said this, and your guy in Texas said this, and your guy... And, and I suspect that was over months and months. Those conversations now happen over, like, a number of hours, potentially, or, you know, in a half hour, 40... You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're in a, the compressed time frame of the, the president changes a subject or an election happens somewhere... Um, and companies are built to react, have to react really quickly. This is this is even just speeding up way more. Yeah, I mean it's 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 so crazy hearing the stories of some customers, right? You know the the two a.m. conference calls and you know with sure. coordinating in Asia and the um, the massive spreadsheets that that people are sort of circulating around trying to triage what people said. I mean it's just it's so inefficient when you know in the twenty first century we live in an era of you know artificial intelligence and big data and cloud applications been around for almost two decades now. I think that the industry is starting to to really see that the benefits of some of these technologies. And you know, it's funny, it's not even cross-country. One of the lobbying tactics 101 is go see what they said on Wall Street. Because it's amazing how many companies will come to Washington and say, if this merger happens, we will be taken out. And then they go to Wall Street like, yeah, we're not worried about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's a standard yeah. practice when you're in Washington and you have a foe to bring whatever they said to the analysts because it's always different. And then you get to say they're either lying to you or they're lying to the SEC. Sure. Yeah. Okay. A couple other things, just bigger picture. Where do you want this company to go? What do you you know? Are you are you the, the idea that you want to go public is the idea we take talked, out take out Bloomberg? Yeah, <laughs> we just talked about you know you know what you say having all of humanity's laws in one place. Where do you see this going? Uh, I've been very clear. So I, I want this company to go public. Um, I want this to be an independent public company in the long term. Um, and I think it's important for our mission for that to be the case. Um, you know, from a business perspective, I see a large amount of opportunity just continuously investing in more and more data. Um, you know, we uh, have products in uh, across Europe. Uh, we are about to launch uh, all across Asia. Our headquarters are in South Korea. Um, you know, we're making a big push into Latin America and Southeast Asia. We think this can be a global kind of uh, business. Um, the other aspect is, you know, the sort of GR compliance risk functions in businesses are growing very rapidly. Totally. Um, and we believe that that's a huge uh, sort of opportunity for us to kind of capture that that uh, that opportunity as that enterprise software category grows. Uh, and it's something that we believe can be the backbone of a multi-billion-dollar market cap business over time. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I'm about to wrap this up, and as as Bruce knows, I often ask a, some kind of goofy questions toward the end. But if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? You know, I get that question a lot, and to be honest, if we weren't doing this, I probably would just start another company. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, probably something in data or media. But I mean, it's it's flying cars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I you know, I've, obviously, I'm interested in some of the self-driving car stuff. The um, uh, I think artificial intelligence is a long way to go. I think we're you know, like we're literally in the first inning of that stuff. So I think uh, I'd probably still be in the tech world, you know, doing uh, what I love, which is, you know, running a tech company. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's a little like uh, once you've once you've had a little bit of the taste of it, you got to keep keep going down that road. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Tim, it's great to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Tim, Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, thanks so much. 
I want to thank Tim and Bruce for coming into 14th and G. Both of those guys are super smart, uh, and Tim in particular. If you're looking for me, my email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, at the intersection of business and policy, right here at 14th and G. Thank you.